Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. We're finding that people are actually are giving up eye time for ear time. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. This is a great opportunity for me uh, to welcome two extraordinary friends, Bob Pittman and Rich Bressler, to join me on Good Company. Now, I know those of you who are listening wonder, how in the world am I inviting Bob Pittman and Rich Bressler to join me on Good Company, which lives on iHeart? That's just because I have friends in low places, and I was able to work it out. I think if I asked Bob and Rich directly, they would have laughed at me, but I went through the power. I went through the back office. I went to the assistants, and I got approval to do this. So I who am generally not daunted by this, both because Rich is such a close friend and partner over so many years, and Bob Pittman (laughs) defines radio and audio and taught me everything I know about it. So here we go, Bob. Don't make me feel too small, please. Michael, I think that will be impossible. (laughs) (laughs) So, guys, we've come a long way together in audio When we began to work together, it's now 10 plus years, if I've got my math correctly, when you guys said to me, we need to put radio back into the conversation. We need to show people that radio isn't something that was your father's Oldsmobile. There's not many people who are listening who know what an Oldsmobile is, let alone your father's. But that was your mission. And your mission was before radio had really become a much bolder statement, which is audio. Can we just take a little bit of a look back? And what was it over these 10 years that really put audio now back into the center of the conversation? I think, you know, if you take up the 30,000 foot view of this, Michael, and you go back and say, what's going on with the consumer? Because that's always explains what businesses are doing well and which aren't. You know, 10 years ago, people still talked about they needed time for peace and quiet. Ah, got a little peace and quiet. No one says that anymore. They wake up in the morning with the phone in their face and they're listening to something and they go to bed with the same thing that they fill up every minute. The consumer has run out of time for their eyeballs. So if they want to watch something on subscription TV, it comes at the expense of something else for their eyeballs, which has been, if you look at the numbers, advertiser-supported TV, which has had a precipitous decline in usage. On the other hand, radio, audio, podcast, this world has expanded so much because the consumer is filling up these other times when they're cooking, where someone's great friend sitting on the counter talking to them while they're brushing their teeth, while they're in the shower, while they're driving in the car. They're filling up these moments. And what they're 
looking for. Sometimes they want just their music collection because they want to sort of escape the world. I just want to listen to 10 songs I know that I love. But most of the time, they go to radio because they're really looking for companionship. And in a world that's been fragmented so much by social and other things, the idea of somebody who's talking with me, who's got that human voice, who's talking about something I'm interested in listening to, keeps me entertained, informed, laughing, crying, that's been radio. And that, you know, originally radio was AM and FM. The last 10 years have seen AM, FM mean another 250 devices. So if I love Z100 or Ryan Seacrest, I can get it in a lot of places now. And so that's allowed us to, oh yeah, I want some companionship, but I'm not near an AM, FM radio. That's no longer a limitation. Are you near your phone? Are you near your video game machine? You're near your smart TV? You're near your smart speaker? I mean, number one use on the smart speakers, radio. Number two is weather. Number three is music. That gives you a clue right there. So I think we've been a beneficiary of that. And that radio has really continued to stay true to its mission to be really the companion. And as we've hit things like natural disasters, social unrest, this huge pandemic, they need companionship more than ever. And they keep turning to us again and again and again for that kind of information. Hey, hey Michael, you know, you know the one, one thing I might add to what Bob just said, and it really starts with the premise or the beginning of your question, which was saying that, gee, we've been at this for 10, 11 years, and now radio audio is in the center of marketers' conversations, other conversations are out there. But, you know, just if you go back 10, 11 years, the medium has always been strong. The medium has always been relevant. We reached 273 million people, I think is the number right now, on a monthly basis. And that's been remarkably steady in terms of that reach. And really the big bet that Bob and I made on the company, and then quite frankly, you made in partnering with us also, is that technology was going to benefit our industry was going to benefit the radio industry, um, and quite frankly, in a way that it disrupted the video industry out there. So I think when Bob talked about all those other platforms, all the ways to reach the consumer, it's just another data point, and I think a proof point that at least as of today, that bet has been the right bet, that technology would benefit the radio industry. And I think, Michael, I would add to that, that you know, going to Rich's point is, Radio has always been important to the consumer and it hasn't waned as TV did or print or other things. It's remained solid and digital radio has just added two more listening occasions. But our problem has been the advertisers weren't there. Radio was hard to use for advertisers. They'd sort of forgotten about it. Radio wasn't first and foremost in their minds. We didn't have the targeting platforms they wanted. We didn't have the electronic trading. We didn't have a lot of ways they wanted to do business. And over the past 10 years, We've built that. So it's one has been hot with the consumer always, but super hot now with the the advertiser and also even hotter with the consumer because we've added these new platforms like podcasting, et cetera. Yeah. So I'm going to get into the technology in a moment because you've made some bold bets and some, in my opinion, very smart bets. But let's talk about podcasts for a second. And, you know, talking about numbers, Rich. My understanding is somewhere in the range of 155 million people listen to a podcast every week in 2020. I mean, it's an astounding number. And, you know, you think of all the numbers we talk about in social media and this and that. And I I know because we've all had this conversation over these many years. It's like, don't forget about us over here. Now, people haven't forgotten, but your numbers actually are bigger than people realize, not just yours, but audio in general. 
How are you seeing that shift play out? Well, look, Michael, I think, let me give you even more context. That's now bigger than the streaming music services like Spotify or Pandora. Uh, and by the way, podcast is showing no signs of slowing down. We think it will grow to be as big as radio at some point, which is amazing because you know nothing has reached that level yet. Think about podcasting as the Netflix of radio. If you think about Netflix, it was an adjacent business to TV. It was, in essence, TV on demand. It was either shows that were on TV or could be on TV. And when we looked at podcasting, we saw it as shows that were either on the radio, some podcasts are actually our radio personalities putting stuff together, or it shows that could be on the radio. And it's still a companionship medium because it's very host-driven, not production value-driven. It's you either have a star host or you have a loser host. And it's that's usually what's making the podcast so successful. So we saw it as an adjacent business. We, not being stupid, wanted to take the case study of TV and say, we don't want that to happen to us. So it's a business we better own. And so we jumped in and not only have we taken advantage of it, but I think we've substantially helped build it because what we've done is we've used our radio advertising. People say, gee, how'd podcasting get so big? Because we use radio advertising. The major way podcasting grew is Apple promoting it on their device as you can come here and get it. All of us like us and Spotify promoting on our devices. But the big way it got big is we talk about it on the radio. We've spent probably a hundred million a year on advertising podcasting and guess what? It works. Yeah. Well, Bob, you've heard me say this and Rich in the earlier days when you launched the name iHeart, the three of us were in enough meetings where I said to the audience, I'd say, so can I get a show of hands? How many people in unaided awareness and even in aided awareness would recognize the name iHeart? And of course, everybody did. The name became ubiquitous. I said, let me let you in on a little secret. You know how that happened? Radio. You were your own case study. Everybody knows the, the name iHeart today. People forget it was Clear Channel a lifetime ago, and they know the name iHeart. And again, you built the brand on your own platform, and back then using out of home and other things, but it was radio that primarily built the iHeart brand. And nobody would argue that the iHeart brand has become extraordinarily well-known, valuable, and important. And, and we've used it now to build podcasting. And you say, how did podcasting get so popular? Because remember, we, I mean, you were with us then. In about 2017, we said, we think there's something there. But podcasting was still small. And it was just sort of inking along. And we suddenly turned our fire hose on to podcasting. And when we did, it grew. And this month, we have over 30 million users. And the next largest is the NPR now in the low 20s. We were neck and neck with them last year. This year, we moved past them. And we're twice the size of the next largest commercial podcaster. Happens to be the New York Times. Why? Because we have radio advertising. And against NPR, we have more radio advertising than they have. <laughs> so it, this is a real simple matter. Now, I, I'm not trying to diss our creators because we have fantastic content. They do brilliant work. I think but, good company with Michael Kasson is as good as it gets. Exactly. So. <laughs> But you got to have promotion. You got to have advertising. It's like all of our advertising partners, they got all got a great product. But if you don't market and advertise it the right way, you don't get the full result. Just to add one thing to that, which I think is interesting. I, I don't think many of your listeners probably realize this. You know, there's something like two to three million. I can't even keep track of it because last year we were talking about one million podcasts in the United States alone. 
just in terms of that number. And people know, you know, what do people know? They know five, 10, they know the couple of podcasts they're listening to. And as Bob said, we have great creators in terms of producing our podcast, but that creating awareness of not, you know, the word podcasting, but each of those individual titles is what really distinguishes us out there. And we have case after case and proof point after proof point when you turn it on because you've got the greatest podcast in the world. But if you're one of three million and no one knows your podcast is there, it, it doesn't do you any good. Absolutely. So, Rich, let's talk about some of the technology investments, because I think that's so important. And it really, you know, was a testament to your commitment to not only grow the brand and, and attract the advertisers, but to be a modern advertising platform and a modern platform in general, whether it was Fox Nest or Jelly or Radio Jar or most recently Triton Digital. These were critically important in building your ad stack and building your tech stack. Talk a little bit about kind of the modernization, if you will. When we announced the Triton deal, you know, a number of weeks ago, everybody said, oh, my God, you guys are digital now. Wow, all of a sudden, diehard digital. It's like, well, thank you, but no. We actually started on this journey, you know, four or five years ago, six years ago, when we really had something called, you know, Smart Audio our infused data buying. And then what we did, the strategy was to look at different assets that were out there and you named them, a number of them, Michael, whether it's Radio Jar, whether it's Box Nest, whether it's Jelly, which makes all our broadcasting inventory, looked at act like digital. And quite frankly, this last and probably final big piece is to add Triton to the mix. And I think what's important about those is each and every one of those assets made the rest of our asset base more complete, gave us the capabilities because look, you know, Google and Facebook a number of years ago changed the face of advertising, changed the way advertisers and agencies buy and sell inventory, changed the time, you know, in terms of more last minute placement, changed it in terms of real time data. And now what our tech stack does, it gives us the only full audio uh, solution in the world, by far and away the most advanced. And now we have the ability not only to plan advertising campaigns with our advertisers, but to also report on those campaigns and execute on those campaigns, both across, across broadcast, across digital, across our live events, across podcasting, as we're just talking about here, and nobody else has it out there. And, and I think, you know, going to Rich's point, Michael, I just want to add to it, that I think what you're doing is we finally have an ad tech that's got it all in one place. And as our advertising partners are trying to get rid of silos and sort of do unified planning and buys and targeting, we have this unified platform for audio that puts podcasting, broadcast radio, digital radio, on-demand radio all together in one place so that they can buy across it. And obviously, one of the first steps was to make broadcast radio accessible like digital with which our jelly acquisition. And the final piece has been the Triton piece, which pulls it all together. So now somebody says, I want that audience. We can find that audience on podcasting, on digital, on broadcast, and the ability to put it all together is, uh, I think, unique. And by the way, gives the advertiser that kind of control they're looking for. So, Bob and Rich, last year we spoke endlessly about two words that were critical to marketers and publishers during the pandemic. The two words that were so resonant in the industry were the need for flexibility driven by the amount of uncertainty. Uncertainty coming from the marketer, like I don't know if I can be advertising, 
And, oh my God, you can't be advertising feel-good campaigns with jingles when you have the world crashing, but you fit that bill well because radio allows you, audio allows you more flexibility. I'd love to talk about how that played with advertisers, your ability to be flexible as they were uncertain. And then alternatively, a couple of the things you did during 2020 that really spoke to the zeitgeist of the moment. We do stuff in real time. That's our product. So when the world changes in a second, we change in a second. And we tap into what that consumer sentiment is because all of our personalities need that information. During COVID, we actually shared some of that internal programming research with some of our partners who just wanted to know what's happening today, what they feel yesterday, and how is it different? And by the way, there were market changes sometimes day to day. And so our responsibility always, if you really say, what's our mission here? It's to give everybody in America a friend. And what does a friend do? They're there for them, to comfort them, to keep them company, to be a part of their lives. So I will take you from when Black Lives Matter suddenly came as a big issue through the, the murder of George Floyd, and suddenly the world starts focusing on this, this new area. We had had a, been working on a, on a project for a all news service for the black community. And we've been working on it last year and we'd actually put it on the shelf during COVID because we said we had to cut expenses, get rid of all development stuff. And Tony Coles, who was running it and was developing it at the time, called us and said, you know, the country needs it right now. And we were able to, in weeks, get it up and running. It has the largest group of black journalists of any organization. It is focused on the black community called Black Information Network. And we found some fantastic partners to come in as founding partners who shared that mission. And we got it launched to have an impact. And by the way, wildly proud of it. We also went to the other things like what is missing from people's lives? All these kids were not getting their graduations. So we went out and got some of the biggest names in the world, including even Bill Gates, to do commencement speeches on podcasts that we ran on the radio and in podcasting. So we gave everybody in the class of 2020 a commencement speech they probably never would have had. By the way, we also did a virtual prom and got stars performing at their prom that they could have never attracted. By the way, we went through all the way through and keeping people informed, getting information out. Uh, now, by the way, one of our missions is to get everybody vaccinated, get the information to them. That's what we do. People have seen us do it during natural disasters. There's a flood, there's a hurricane coming, there's a tornado. Often the only media left on the air is us. And we are telling people where to go get blankets, where to get water, how to do stuff. And we take that mission to heart. And I think we were able to bring, you mentioned the point, a lot of advertising said, what message do I need? Is we were able to help people understand what message you need today that you didn't need yesterday. And oh, by the way, we can produce the commercial for you in about two or three hours if you want us to and get it on the air. And I think there's almost no medium that has the kind of flexibility, that kind of topicality. And I think it really opened a lot of relationships up for us with advertisers who really had never figured out how valuable that is to be connected that way to the consumer so that at the moment of maximum need, you've got a relevant message and you're there for them. Yeah, no, listen, you guys stand up every single time when the industry, when the world needs that 
partner, whether it's for the Ad Council or whether it's for Black Lives Matter. And any side of that equation, iHeart is an extraordinary corporate citizen. And we talk about purpose-driven marketing from the marketer's perspective. You need a purpose-driven publisher on the other side of that for the marketer to be able to say those things, deliver those messages. And you guys, I want to give you the shout out you deserve beyond good corporate citizens as the fabric. No, but it's the truth as the fabric of that relative to our industry. And this isn't just put your logo here because it's stuff you do behind the scenes. And what you said, Bob, and I know this because Rich and I spent a lot of time talking about this when you were launching BIN, uh, the Black Information Network, you had almost no problem. In fact, as I recall, there were a couple of categories in which you had a problem because you had more people than you had spots. And what I think is brilliant about the way you launched it was it wasn't going to be based on the same accountability. It was going to be based on the message more than the, the rating point. And that's a good point. You know, what we did is we when we launched Black Information Network, we said, look, the problem with news today is that if you need a rating for news, to chase a rating causes you to do clickbait headlines. You want to get people's blood pressure up to get your ratings up. And so we said, how can we avoid that? And we came up with a new model. And we went out, as you pointed out, and we found some wonderful corporations who shared our mission of we want to develop for the black community as a gift. We want to give them a news organization that is built on trust, reliability, and not on the biggest ratings at the individual moment. And so we had these partners came in and we all just sort of pooled our resources and said, okay, we're going to support this. You know, Charlemagne the God, we created a joint venture with him for Black Effect Podcast Network and really pulled these great new voices in. We made a, a promise two years ago, before all this got hot, we made a promise that 50% or more of our new podcast would be diverse voices, either hosts, uh, producers, creators. And we've lived up to that. And I think people at the time said, oh my God, how could you go to that extreme? And to us, it wasn't extreme. It was, that's what reflection. the country looks like. Yeah, it's yeah, reflection. The country is diverse and we have to be equally as diverse to really serve that. I think a lot of advertisers sort of begin to value that in terms of partnership too, because we can take them there in a very authentic way. It really kind of ties back to your first question to Bob and myself about the relevancy of the medium and what Bob just articulated. And we talked about Black Information Network, we talked about graduation, we talked about Black Effects. And But even the other areas that we have, whether it was International Women's Day or our focus on LGBT, we also literally just announced, you may be aware of uh, a podcast network for Latinos, which we haven't mentioned yet. And I think the importance of that is Bob and I are incredibly focused and the rest of our management team in saying, okay, we have a great platform. And so we have two obligations. We have an obligation to our shareholders at the end of the day, because people own the stock of the company, but we also have an obligation, can you do good and profit from it at the same time? And I think each of those examples, and you just pointed to it about the industry, that you know we've got to represent America because that's who our listening audience is. And that's why I wanted to add about LGBT and Latino and International Women's Day, because each of those are in response to listening to what our audience needs are out there. I guess that contributes to the factors that are impacting audio in general. What are the trends you see in audio as we look forward? If we look out three years, 
and we continue at a steady state of recovery and whatnot from all the travails of this past year. Do you see any trends in audio that are going to be different than what we're seeing? Is there something that is exciting in that way from a trend perspective? From a consumer standpoint, we continue to find new ways for people to listen to the content they want. It's funny, we had this epiphany a few years ago. We were talking to this focus group of young kids about radio, and they kept looking at us like that dog with that funny look, like, what are you talking about? And finally, somebody said, what's wrong? And they said, why are you calling it a device? Why are you calling it that radio? I mean, and say, well, what would you call it? Well, I call it Z100. Uh, I call it Elvis Duran. And you go, of course, they're right. And we were just myopic. And so we're now on 250 platforms, thousands of devices to get Z100. So we're now saying it's an iHeartRadio and streaming station. You can get it anywhere, any way you want to get it. And I think that has been very important. And then we've also looked at all the adjacent businesses. What's close to it? Well, we also give you music stations, which are a little closer to sort of music collection. And podcasting has been enormous. We also are on social. People don't realize we have 250 million social followers that when we do the iHeartRadio Music Awards, which we did two years ago, we have more more social impressions for that than the Super Bowl or the Academy Awards or the Grammys. Actually, twice as many as they had. Why? Because we have so many social followers. So we have this huge social network, and I think we're about six or seven times the size of the next largest audio player in social. When it comes to radio on digital, on broadcast, we're twice the size of the next largest broadcast company. We're five or six times their size on digital. When you add podcasting to this, it's all growing and growing rapidly, and we're filling time, and we're finding that people are actually are giving up eye time for ear time. They used to try and put a computer next to them when they were cooking to watch a movie. Now they listen to a podcast. So we're actually stealing time from video, which I don't think people ever thought would happen. Um, Absolutely. From a advertising standpoint, this whole thing of people getting rid of cookies has been a godsend to us. Because my next question, Bob, you anticipated it. Well, I think what's interesting, you know, Google's talking about this federated learning of cohorts as the new thing. That's radio. I mean, if you think about what is it, it's interest-based advertising. It's a way for business to reach people with relevant content and ads by clustering large group of people with similar interests. That's how we build our radio stations. The difference between a hip-hop radio station and a country station or a talk station or a news station is we're clumping people by interest. Now being able to add, and by the way, if we can get rid of that cookie thing, which by the way, drove consumers crazy and they go, it's creepy. It feels like you're on top of me. It looks like you're spying on me. If we go to reaching people where they are with these huge interest groups and you apply to it the information we have through our smart audio, which allows us to say, okay, I can put some behavioral stuff against it too. Who's in the market to buy a car? Who just had a baby You know, in the last month, et cetera, that we really are, I think, able to in many ways leapfrog what the rest of media is doing because we built our entire media business around this sort of federated learning of cohorts. That is a radio station. That is a format. So we are leaning heavily into that and quickly into that. So when you say what happens in the next few years, I think it's an eye opener to a lot of our marketing and media partners to realize that we have all these capabilities that they heretofore thought they could only get in digital. So I think we're going to see 
and and by the way, Michael, you're in the middle of it with your work with agencies, but every agency we talk to says, look, we're going to unified buying. We want a unified buying platform. We want to get rid of silos. We want to be able to plan across radio, TV, digital, everything so we can maximize the impact. Well, we're prepared for it. We're ready to go. That's going to be a great way to get efficiency for advertisers. It's going to be a great way to get efficiency and effectiveness for agencies. And for us, I think it's a way for us to improve our uh, opportunities to interact with our marketers to provide benefit to them and impact at the best possible price. Well, I think that you said it really well, Bob, but you know, at the end of the day, it is about context and content. And there's no better place to see that play out than radio because it's, as you keep saying, it's real time. What I'd like to do is I want to ask you one more question. As we wrap, what podcasts are you listening to now? I mean, is there anything that's jumping out at you? You know, I have to tell you before you answer, I hadn't read a book in 15 months because like most, I've been listening or watching. I haven't been reading. I just read three books in a row. So I'll trade. I'll tell you my three books if you guys told me your favorite podcasts. I hope the Mike Nichols biography. No, that's the fourth one. It's coming right after this. So good. Uh, So good. Coming right after this. So I think on podcasting, I you know I can't pick one because I'll get in trouble because we have we're partners with too many people. Malcolm Gladwell to Charlemagne the God to Aaron Mankey, they're all great podcasts. But I think what's wonderful about podcast is whatever's on my mind that day, I can find a podcast talking about it. And it's like, where on earth can you find that that just sort of flows with you, ebbs and flows with topicality, interest, and time of day? And and I just think it's beautiful. And obviously, I love all of ours, but there are other people who are producing spectacular podcasts too. And, and I think it just goes to building the medium. Well, and Rich, other than you having to try and keep up with Lisa on the golf course, which of course is impossible, are you listening to anything other than golf? No, and, I, and I'm uh, in addition to golf, but and and other than math and magic in Bob's podcast. Yeah, there you go. Thank good, you, good, Rich. Good, Thank good, you, good, Rich. Good, Rich. That was a good, I will get that plug in there for my partner at the end. No, but I agree with Bob. And you look, I won't name any some of the current ones I'm listening to, but there was one or two that are just fabulous. As Bob said, we love all of our children though. But honestly, also just looking back on what got Stuff Media started with all the Stuff podcasts that are out there, like Stuff You Should Know in History Class, with all the new podcasts that are out there, I think the relevancy of what really probably started the podcast industry 10, 15, 20 years ago in terms of being just so topical and so top of mind. And every day when I listen to them, I learn something new out there. So I think I can name that one because that's probably our oldest child out there and 15 or 20 years old. But, you know, it's amazing to me, the creative side of podcasting. You know, Bob alluded to it earlier. I don't think people really just listen to a podcast and think of the creativity that goes in and the imagination that someone has. And, you know, it really is from a creative medium it just gives writers and people in the artist community such a great place to experiment in such, I'll use yours, Michael, a cost-efficient way that I think people don't fully appreciate. And I think that's at the infancy stage to launching new great ideas. Well, guys, this, as I said at the start, and I'll say at the end, was a, a privilege and an honor for me, and I know for our listeners, to hear from the two of you about arguably the most exciting platform 
in the world right now, which is audio and certainly audio at iHeart is very close to my heart. So thank you for an amazing session. Well, from our heart to your heart. Thank you, Michael. I'm Michael Kasson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President, Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. Good Company is edited by Jessica Kreinchich. 